0: I hate this town, I hate this fucking town I don't even want to be in this town I know to leave this town I'm gonna take this town, I don't You know this town must have run its mouth This fucking town, we can leave this town walking on the grass and I've never seen this town She's got dreams too big for this town
1: hmm don't like it averting my eyes
2: (laughs) i can delete it one sec do not avert your eyes in my really terrible werner herzog impression
1: my eyes have already been averted
2: Hello, and welcome, some part of this will go in the episode. Hello, and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. Uh, I, I, I am Elaine. I'm Fletcher.
1: And I'm Adam.
2: And welcome to our retrospective where we have a giant chart that includes everything that has been tagged as pop-punk or emo-pop on Rate Your Music, and that has charted between 1999... And 2013, and we go chronologically and just talk about all of this stuff. And the record that we talk about today is Now You See Inside by SR-71, and it fucking sucks.
3: Just because I'm sure someone is going to think it, no, that is not the jet plane Musk's kid is named after. This is a different one that sucks.
2: Do you remember SR-71? They had one almost hit. In the two thousand, which means they qualify for our podcast. They did? Yes, right now. Sort of charted. We'll get there. Ugh. Well, they are Fletch's favorite band, if I recall correctly from the last couple of episodes.
3: I did own their next album, and I am definitely worried about when we revisit that shortly. However... We're not there yet, and I can say, after hearing Now You See Inside for the first time this week, definitely not winning me over.
2: You know, if you have listened to this podcast, you will know that I'm, I'm probably the least negative of all of us, I think, on this stuff. And I fucking hate this record. I, I think it's Sonic garbage. Yeah, spoiler, we
3: have a new enemy of the pod this week.
2: Yeah, I mean, even aside from Mitch Allen, who sounds like the worst person ever that is just obnoxious and annoying. Unpleasant. Unpleasant, right? Aside from him, this record is just not good. Because we could say that, like, we don't like Tom DeLonge. I think Animal of the State is an influential and perfectly fine record musically. I fucking hate Michelin, and I fucking hate this record for unrelated reasons. This
3: is definitely slow Phoenix
2: TX. Phoenix TX was way better than this.
3: I know. Did you think we were going to get there within a month of that album? I
2: didn't. No.
1: (laughs) I thought it sounded fine.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to get there when we talk about the music.
0: Smile from
3: but first allow me to tear into mitch because he's pretty much the only person who is central to the band. He hails from Baltimore and gets into music because his father owns a stereo and audio equipment shop, and as I can say from a decade's worth of podcasting, if you have the equipment, it's a lot easier to get started on something like this, so thanks for the leg up there,
2: buddy. Remember stereos, Adam? Yes. Was there a thing when you were alive?
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah.
2: Okay.
3: My first stereo had a turntable and a tape deck in it, so I'm not going to (laughs) talk.
2: Remember stereo, Fletch? Tell us about stereo. I used to have
3: two tower speakers that were probably worse sound than your earbuds and were taller than one of both of you. So, yeah, I inherited those from my father until they fell apart due to mold because we didn't realize that Moisture had slowly accumulated in the wood and eaten it alive over the years.
1: Oopsies.
2: Yeah. Anyhow, stereos aside, in 1990, he forms the band Honor Amongst Thieves. I don't know who was in this band. It has been lost to time. Nobody mattered but Mitch, according to Mitch's telling. There are some great promotional photos of his next band, Radio Star, which is just like everyone aside from Mitch Allen is like, in the background and out of literally out of focus, you have like big mitch face and everyone else is just ghosts after all, it was like called the radio star, not radio stars, so guess that makes sense.
3: Radio stars photos in all of the shots have big back to the future. My siblings are vanishing energy
1: I can see it, yep
2: so. It's not Radio Star yet. They are honored among thieves at this point. And in 1994, they released their first record and self-distributed around Baltimore and D.C. The record is named Grow. And recording it once again was helped by the fact that Mitchell and day job was at a recording studio. So I imagine, you know, just sneak in there at night and get your tracks done. Grow is not good. It's 90s alt-rock, soft-rock,
3: garbage. VH1 bullshit. I'm gonna throw this out there. If you were a 90s alt-rock band, and you had something that sounded like this album, you guaranteed rebranded at least once, and you might have buried a body. Like, that's how all these bands ended. Someone died on the road, or the tour bus hit someone, and then everyone either went their separate ways and never went to speak of it again, or they decided to reform and became a
2: different group entirely. The difference there is that most of those bands had at least, like, one solid radio single, and then the rest of the record was Boring filler. Honor Among Steve doesn't have that. The record is just, like... A desert of anything interesting.
1: That sounds unpleasant.
2: By the way, these people stayed in, like, nine years they did this, which is impressive. But in 1999, they realized they're not going anywhere and that no one knows of them, so they changed their name to Radio Star. Mitch Allen is still there, there are some lineup changes, which again, I... uh, No one bothered to record. Most of our
3: stuff on this comes from interviews with Mitch, who is, as far as we can tell, the only one of these musicians still functionally in the industry and being talked to because he has a career, so he gets to control a lot of the spin, and he didn't keep track of a lot of things. We know that the people who started Honor Among Thieves were not the same as the ones that RCA signed in SR seventy one, but that's it.
1: I have a question. Sure. Did they do any uh, music videos while they were the band Radio Star?
3: Not that I saw.
1: Ah, uh, they heard the prophecy. <laughs>
3: You know, they did get one as SR-71, so maybe that was part of the deal is until they had a different name, they were not allowed to record. Mm -hmm. But by the end of 99, they are signed to RCA Records and prepare their debut. Just after signing, and what I'm sure made things incredibly easy for the legal department, they all realized that they hated the name Radio Star and changed themselves to SR-71, inspired by Jet Fighter.
1: Because that's a a more interesting name, I guess.
2: Blink182 just got it big, so, you know, gotta have a number in your band name.
1: Something more interesting than a jet fighter plane, though. For real.
2: I mean, Blink182 just put a random number because their username was taken.
1: Yes, much more interesting. But...
3: Speaking of names, we should probably credit the few people we do know from the original formation of the band. Mark Beauchemin on guitar, Jeff Reed on bass, and Dan Garvin on drums. To be fair, Dan Garvin is one of the fakest-sounding stage names I've ever heard. My name's Dan. Dan... Garvin. Are you just looking at your GPS device? No.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they are... Look, I don't... They probably know how to play their instruments, but they are exceedingly mediocre on this record specifically. Maybe you know if they're session musicians for pop people they are probably very competent at what they do. Sessions musicians tend to be very good, reliable, you wouldn't tell by this record. <laughs> Anyhow, there is the rich history of SR71. So rich. They sign with RCA, and then they are ready to prepare their first record. Now you see inside, or the bat record. If we're gonna call this their debut
3: record, then I want to say that I very nearly said the rich history of SR71. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, I always say the bat because I cannot pronounce English, and also it's funny. But yeah, now you see Inside is recorded under RCA between Bairdville, New York, and London Church Studio. They went international, the boys.
1: What are we seeing inside of?
3: The jet. You just look around and it's like, oh wow, instruments.
2: The cover is like a ray scan of a toy robot, which is interesting. Not the Japanese cover, though, because the record released in Japan with just like a glamour shot of the band. Of course. I really wanted to use that for our cover for the episode, but it's really difficult to find it at a high resolution. So y'all are getting the regular cover.
1: Are the non-Mitch members of the band fading into the background in that one too?
2: No, actually no. They are, well, they are looking away. Mitch is the only one looking at the camera. Everyone else is trying to not be recognized. From being in the band, I guess. Mm. Fun fact,
3: they do that exact same thing on the band's YouTube page, where Mitch is the only person visible in the thumbnail image, and everyone else is shoved behind him. Yes! (laughs) Because it crops it to a circle, you actually only see two out of four heads, and if you expand the original image out, you can notice that two of them are not even fully in frame. Amazing. Amazing.
2: How amazingly petty is that? Anyhow, back to the Mitch Allen extravaganza. Mitch Allen and the Mitchallens. The record, again, produced between New York and London. And the producers are David Bendett, who will go to produce a whole bunch of perfectly okay records in the genre. He will work with Paramore, which are fine. And this is a tidbit of amazingness. The other producer is Jill Norton, who produced... The other Blink, the one that forced Blink-182 to change her name, I find that very a very cool, thematic bridge.
1: I don't think real life has thematic bridges, Ellie.
2: We just found one. It's the Blink
3: Connection. The Blink Connection would be a better name for this album than Now You See Inside, for the record.
2: <laughs> they all think they, the sr 71 went like, we want the guy who produced this thing, we want the guy who produced Blink. And the record label went, sure, here's the guy.
3: (laughs) But this record comes out in June 2000, about a year after the pop boom that pushes Blink-182 and Enema of the State. This is the period where all the production, all the recording and everything is really starting to hit us with the flood of pop punk as all the bands the major label signed in response finally begin with their record debuts. Also, this is where some bands without a DIY legit background in punk start getting signed by major labels, which means we have less
2: coastal bands and more weird one-offs. A lot of bands like these, I mean, with some exception, Newfound Glory were pretty much all people that paid their dues in DIY hardcore bands, to mention one. But yeah, we also start seeing very boy band-ish experiments. These are a bunch of people with nice pop songs that RCA went like, oh, this dude sort of look like Blink. Let's try and see if we can make them pop star. They will not be able to make them pop star. (sighs) And yet, there's Mitch. There's Mitch. Two singles get released for this record. The first one is the one that, unless you're Fletch, the one that, if you know this band, you probably remember them from, is right now. Is this upbeat, pop, punky tune that gets released with a video that features the band escaping from a horde of fan girls, but then it turns to be all a dream and no one is <laughs> attending their concert, which is prophetic, I guess. Kind of.
3: Only a four-year
2: career. They don't even make it to Bush Term 2. By the way, the 2004 record was a reunion record. (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear.
3: It's a heck of a thing. I legitimately didn't know there was a third record. So when that swings around in our notes, can't wait to see what that becomes.
2: By the way, I will just note the... I fucking hate the just fashion, look and choices of Mitch Allen in this video.
3: We haven't described the man yet. We've just said he puts himself front and center in everything.
2: Let's have a Mitch Allen aesthetic review here. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the video. Mitch
3: Allen looks like if your dad's weird friend who kept offering you a beer before you were over age, Put on spiked necklaces.
2: I couldn't find any details on how old Michalan is.
3: Yeah, I guarantee that's intentional.
2: He might even just be actually like 23 here. He looks like he's fucking 40, regardless of what his actual age is.
1: You said that his first band was doing things for like 10 years.
2: So Yes, apparently they were in high school when Honor Among Steve was formed. So he was in high school in 1990. What would that make him in 2024 24 to 28. Okay, it looks 30. It looks 30 plus in this video.
1: You made me look at this person's visage. I'm just kind of like, I mean, those look like some dumb fashion choices, but... Uh, Isn't that just what people were doing with fashion at that point?
3: Hey, good news. I discovered how old he is, as well as the fact that he's not dead, because one of the top searches is deadorkicking.com for Mitch Allen.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's 48,
3: by the way. So he would have been 28 at this album.
2: Okay, yeah. So
3: nearing his 30s. But he looks like he's got a decade on him. However... That's about where he stopped aging. He does look pretty consistent with that these days. Yeah. Just wearing less denim.
2: Yeah, no, it looks like I I don't know, like a hippier blink in this video.
3: Every single bad skater accessory you could put on a create a character, Mitch Allen is wearing it. Puka shell necklace, got it. Rope Charm? Got it. Saint Christopher medal, Got it.
2: More surfer than skater, I would say.
3: Okay, yeah, I guess the I guess the Saint Christopher thing would be more surfer. Anyway, all I'm saying is this dude is one shark tooth away from being an entire frat to himself.
1: You're not wrong.
2: Right now, by the way, the, the song is it's not awful. Probably the best track on this record. But the song vaguely bubbled under the Hot 100 song chart, but never actually quite got into the chart. It stalled at 102 Which makes it technically not a hit, but for some odd reason, the chart peaked at 30 in the mainstream top 40 chart, which is an airplay chart. I will explain what the mainstream top 40 chart is, which is currently called the pop song chart, because Billboard changes their name of their charts every two days. Anyhow, mainstream top 40 or pop songs chart. Whatever you want to call it, basically what what this chart is is that it measures airplay, doesn't measure sales or streaming, just airplay, and it limits the airplay that it measure its rankings on only to top 40 stations, meaning only to stations that play just the biggest and the most successful pop, which makes it really weird that. This song never went anywhere in terms of airplay anywhere else or sales, but was fairly high in terms of being played on stations that were big and that mainly played pop. My theory here, and I don't have any data to back it up, is that getting extensive airplay just in those stations and no sales at all and no other airplay anywhere else, the most rational hypothesis that I can make is that the label just Paid a bunch to have them on the stations, hoping that they became something big, and never actually came out of it. Uh, It's pretty commonly known that there's a lot of
3: payola among big markets to try and push a band. Whether it takes off with any groundswell after that, it kind of relies on more independent DJs. So that's why that chart is created, is to very specifically give you a, hey, here's some things
2: you kids should be looking at. Aw, when nothing ever goes beyond that. They were like in the same chart with like Madonna at this point, but if you go look at the Hot 100 chart, Madonna is like fourth and they are 102, which is it's fantastic. It's great. Yeah, money well spent by RCA. Yeah, anyhow, after the not really a success of right now, A second single come out it doesn't even get a video you can find live videos of it but they're not official videos this is another choice of single also because after right now a song about having a nagging girlfriend that you don't really like which is you know par for the course for that era for that music it's like sunshiny and fun, and happy. The next song is called Politically Correct, and it's about how you cannot say the N-word in America anymore.
3: I wish it had that many stones on it. It's the wishy-washiest... Once again, we're in 2000 right now. It's some end-of-history territory. We're just on the verge of a major shift in this country at this time. But... Nobody is yet anywhere harder than, oh, gee, Mr. Clinton's getting away with a blowjob. And that's, nobody wants to go any harder because that Ken Starr was so mean to him. I cannot stress enough how insane this period in culture is looking back, but this song does not even have the cojones to go, I wish I could say the N-word. This is just It's so terrible that everyone's all tribal. How dare you? Did you know this country was founded by just getting into camps and being nice to your friends? Fuck Politically Correct.
2: This song doesn't chart anywhere, gets basically zero airplay, and everyone is embarrassed by it. Aside from Mitch Allen, who will say about this song, people tiptoe around so often, but you can't have any integrity without occasionally pissing people off.
1: I think that Mitch Allen is a little bit confused about people finding him annoying and people being pissed off. Like, no, you're just, like, a mildly annoying douchebag. They're not pissed off at you. That implies that you, like, did something worth being pissed off about.
3: Don't worry.
2: We've got some things to be pissed off about.
1: Yeah, we'll get there.
2: Yeah, and with this we can start actually talking about the record, and this is quite easy because the two first songs of the record are the two singles. It is fine, but uh, yeah, let's go!
3: Well, no, Politically Correct is not fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's fine that we already covered it.
3: Can I talk about the worst part of it? Sure. Which is definitely the part where he uses, again, it's been 20 years of this fucking excuse now. Well, you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today. Fuck
2: off. (laughs) Can we discuss about the fact that this opens the record? Because that, again... It's baffling to me that this was a single. It's baffling to me that this opens the record. Did No one at the label went, huh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe non-toxic. You know, that song about having, like, a nice happy day. It's really the blandest possible take
3: for a song called Politically Correct, written in 2000, and the hardest it can go is basically the softest way of saying you can't say the N-word anymore. And also, oh no, my, you know nobody talks about politics. Nobody can stand how edgy I am. I hate this.
2: Well, I don't mean to piss you off with things I might say. So when I try to shut my mouth, well, they come out anyway. So when I speak my mind, that's when we connect. Yeah, but that's not... Politically correct. Let's just quote the really bad one, which is the
3: one that continues to get me. So you conform with the best of intention. Change comes from inside. And after all, that's what this country was founded on. Do nothing different. Just fall in line. That Fuck
1: That sounds fake.
3: This is the worst. Like, you would wish that your irritating uncle was going to do this on the Zoom call this Thanksgiving. <laughs> you wish this was as far as he went, because this you could take Oh, all Uncle Alan and a sitcom laugh track. That's the level this song is at. But it
2: thinks it's a truth to power speaking hot fire. There's nothing I believe in more than my own insignificance. So why does everybody think my word can make a difference? I just don't have any time to think up every social consequence. I just keep on talking and you keep applauding. Mitch, no one was applauding this song. Also, that's
3: a very John Stewart on Hardline take. What why does everyone think I should be the one who's changed? I'm just a comedian. I'm just a singer. I hate this. This is designed to target me and Everything that pisses me off. It's
2: amazing because it's it's this weird combination of being extremely bland, but also like about a topic that's completely like, why 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 is the label pushing this? This is not something that will be popular in any way.
1: Because otherwise, this wouldn't be a punk album, like at all. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's not a punk
3: album, though. It's just on our list because of the crappy tagging on Rate Your Music. We did this to ourselves.
1: If this song were not the album, we wouldn't even be able to pretend it was a pop punk album because there's nothing punk about it.
2: Yeah, right now is the thing closest to being pop punk on this record. And that's why people tag it as pop punk on Rate Your Music, which makes me pissed off because there's another record that's actually really, really good that has one pop-punk song in it, and it's Welcome Interstate Manager by um, Fountains of Wayne, and that record is great. It's one of the big pop records of the 2000s. Let's cover that
3: anyway. Let's cover that Fountains of Wayne album anyway to make up for this. It's our show.
2: We can do what we want. I know, but I am methodic. But also that record is probably like in a couple of years
3: unless anyone else has anything else to say about this, I'm going to segue us into right now. A, why is this not a cover of the Van Halen song? B, I guess I'd heard this before, because when I started listening to it, I had heard this, although I didn't know this band's name. And C, we talked earlier about how a lot of pop punk and ska and things were mixed up with skate culture around this time, especially due to the Tony Hawk games. This track feels like it would be playing in BMX Triple X. If you don't know what that is, because some people are not going to remember infamous failures of the industry, BMX X was going to be the third licensed game based on Dave Mira, who was a famous bicyclist who did stunt biking at the time. And they started cramming in off-brand Hooters chains and strip clubs and nudity and a lot of off-color jokes, and he sued to have his name removed from it and the game just came out eventually as a giant failure. Yep.
1: Oopsie.
3: That really happened, and this was the tier of track that was on the soundtrack. I think it has Sublime, too.
2: (laughs) Wasn't that, like, one of the few games on the PlayStation 2 to have, like, bare, naked breasts in it? Not one of the few. There were more than
3: you'd think, but it was one of the only ones that was uncensored on a Nintendo console, the GameCube, and not on Sony. Huh. The PlayStation version actually has more cut than anything else.
1: Interesting.
3: I think we said all we need to say about right now other than that. Do you you have anything else?
1: I didn't listen to any of the lyrics, and I thought it sounded very nice.
3: It's one of the three best tracks on this album by a mile.
2: If you listen to the song, you expect an innocuous, like, Fun, Blink-182, Newfound Glory-like record. This is, like, very breezy, very summery. It's, like, this very mild song about a girlfriend or an ex that singer Mitch Allen doesn't like. You know, they're in a relationship anyway. She might not be the right one, but she'll do right now. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. It's fine. It's catchy. I don't even want to say catchy. It's mildly catchy. No, you can see why this got pushed as a single. This has potential. This is, again, I don't like this record. This is the highlight. It's not even the highlight. This is like the song that I'm, I'm. I will listen. It's fine. The guitar riff is very Green Day. It's very blink. Doesn't really do anything particularly new. It's just like very
3: breezy pop punk. Here. Right now is a song that if it were on a demo tape when you were looking for the pop punk explosion, You would go, let's get them a producer and let's get this guy out there. Let's try something.
2: Yeah, let's actually make this into a song with a bit more of, you know, structure and interesting things going on. Because, like, this has, like, a catchy chorus and a catchy verse, but it doesn't do anything with them. And my note here is the song is so musically shallow that it's basically like polystyrol. This is like musical polystyrol, which is fine. It will serve its purpose, but doesn't really hold up to repeat listen, it's just, it's a radio song, let's put it this way, it's a radio song It sort of suffered the same, all of the same problems that Goldfinger had in the last episode, but Goldfinger wrote way better hooks. Yes. Goldfinger were great at having really catchy choruses, this is just like mildly catchy, you will probably not remember it after listening to it.
3: Easiest joke on the
2: album comes next. What a mess! It starts with like a sort of alt-rocky, distorted vocal that reminded me of like Evanescence or something, but it doesn't. It doesn't go new metal, sadly. I had a very
3: similar thought. I thought the distortion on the voice made it sound like a better vocalist
2: was doing this track, and then it lets off.
1: I thought it sounded neat.
2: I mean, you can feel the producers trying to salvage this record by, like, putting every effect, every delay, everything, trying to, like, mask the mediocrity of SR-71.
1: And it made it sound cool.
2: Yeah, you will have heard some
3: of it in between our talking by now, but... Mitch Allen is such a terrible vocalist.
2: His voice is nails on a chalkboard. It's
3: awful. If I tried to do an annoying pop punk voice right now, I
2: would sound better than Mitch Allen.
3: Why? Why do you always kick me when I'm down?
2: That's better. Oh, do you want to know a really funny thing about right now? Hit me. Apparently, after the feud with sum 41, some still salty sum 41 fan uploaded the song on the YouTube. This is probably a couple of years later, anyhow, when YouTube or whatever... I guess this might have been on Napster. Anyway, it's a meme that right now by SR71 is actually uh, Why You Always Kick Me When I'm High by sum 41, because someone just uploaded it with that name. And, like, there are a lot of people that just couldn't tell the difference and just think that this is some 41 song, which I find really funny. Nice.
1: Well, that doesn't speak well to Sum 41, then.
2: I mean, Sum 41 are, you know, are right now but hold records of it. Also, they lean a little harder on the hair
3: metal aesthetic.
2: In All killer, no filler. I don't remember any, like, slow, shitty ballad, which is, you know... No, it's definitely punkier. Yeah. Anyhow, we were talking about what a mess. It starts with like this evanescence ass vocals, but it doesn't go new metal, which makes me sad because I I am most excited when we get to new metal in this podcast. This is such a weird track that it lives up to its name.
3: Uh, it does sound very interesting. I would probably say this is one of my favorite things on the record just because it's so distinct but it's also the third track in a row that's basically How Dare a Partner Ask Me to Mature. And then it drops Dr. Seuss references at the end for no reason.
1: I, the Lorax, I speak for the trees.
3: Yeah, he literally says, I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees in the middle of talking about getting off his knees and being in misery. It's a whole thing at the end.
2: Oh, God, why?
3: Yes, it's so weird.
1: I did not listen to the lyrics on any of the songs from this album while I was listening to it. And so now that I'm looking at them, I'm like, uh, yeah, well, that sucks.
3: This album is free of any weird homophobia or anything from what I could see. I think I did skip one track because it was so bland.
2: The thing is that, like, they are not bullsy enough to have anything that might offend, which makes politically correct even a weirder track. Yeah, that's true. Who is offended by you? You are the definition of bland. But that's what the
3: sort of dude always thinks of themselves, that they are the truth teller, the Cassandra
2: not being listened to.
1: Oh, I'm so edgy. Meh.
2: On the theme of the producer is throwing everything at the wall to try and salvage the stuff, the strings section that come from nowhere in this track and that sound for some reason like F sharp, A sharp by Godspeed You, Blake Emperor. God, I wish. I don't know, it's like the same tone of the strings at the beginning of Dead Flag Blues. That doesn't fit in this song, but I guess the producer is trying to like make something out of this track, which is, you know, as you mentioned, the Sort of a mess structurally, is the trick they pull on most of the song, which is like quiet, 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 loud, loud. Like half of the record is like going ASMR and then like striking the guitars for a minute. I wish this guy had an ASMR voice. At
3: least then it would match with the slow dirge track that closes this album. And I
2: Then there's The Last Man on the Moon. This song is about Mitch Allen being
3: lazy. This is one of the worst slacker anthems I've ever heard. Hilariously, Genius tells me this track was also featured on Cool Tracks (laughs) 2. The Legendary. Tracks with two X's. Yes, good. I'm glad I wasn't the only one who noticed that when it came up. All I could think in this one, because I definitely lost the thread partway through was that I just wished I was listening to the Lost Butthole Surfers album. Uh, The Last Astronaut is a weird piece of art rock, and it came out around the same time.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Neat.
3: Long story short, their final album, Weird Revolution, started out as a kind of concept album called The Last Astronaut, where a guy goes into space as all of the world goes to war and the isolation starts driving him mad before he meets what may be alien life. And then they destroyed most of it, kept maybe two tracks, and redid it as a strange final whatever alt-rock album. It was interesting, and the entirety of Last Astronaut did leak years later, so I got to hear it. (laughs) Best of both worlds, then, huh? It's a fascinating story and a very interesting album from a band you would not expect it from. Uh, The actual track that makes it onto Weird Revolution is kind of chilling in that it's just slow piano and synth noises between bursts of transmission as the guy comes within range of the Earth. Very grim.
2: Last Man on the, Mo- on the Moon made me wish for that. <laughs> yeah, it's the most Blink-182 song on this record. There's like a guitar that goes, pee lee pee lee lee pee that sounds like Blink-182. I don't know if we mentioned this, Mitch Allen will go on to write for like B-level pop stars and is currently doing that. B-level is kind. Probably has seen more money that we will ever see collectively. But because, you know music industry. But it surprises me that he went into doing this shit because it's not strong melodically. Like I can see why Feldman from Godfinger went into, you know, producing and writing for bands in Stomping Ground that we reviewed last time. There was actually a lot of great melodies. Like he had some problems with structure, but there were good pop ideas in the songs. This record is nothing. It's air. This is like sort of way more stripped down blink 182-ish song with this mild lyrics about being a slacker but it, you you hold it in your hand and it dissolves into dust there's nothing to the song
3: except
2: like so many
3: tracks on this album there's a weird bit to the lyrics that i cannot understand the how of in this case It's one of the final lines. Well, whoever heard of an astronaut with one arm? I'd be the last man on the moon. He has two arms and nowhere else in this song does it come up that he's lost one? Is it a masturbation joke? I don't think so because nothing else implies it. I can't tell what the hell that means.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was pretty weird
3: too. Just like the Lorax on the last album. This just ends
2: the song with me going, wait, what? Maybe it's put it like, maybe it's like the like map maker who put in like wrong location just so no one copies them. It's just (laughs) putting some weird shit in the record. So if someone, you know, to notice if you're paying attention or to know if someone is copying his lyrics or whatever.
1: Oh, yeah. No, he puts a little something weird at the end. So that way you're like, wait, what? And then you're like conscious for the start of the next song. (laughs)
0: <sighs> it's very bizarre.
2: The jokes write themselves for this record, because the track that we're talking about now is Empty Space. Yeah.
1: This makes me want to listen to the Taylor Swift song.
2: "Blank Space?
1: I don't like Taylor Swift.
2: No, but that 1984 or whatever that record is called is great. It's Taylor Swift trying Ellie, really...
1: I don't like Taylor Swift. Moving on. This is not a Taylor Swift podcast, Ellie.
2: A uh, good large made one, one good record, and everything else is like. Uh, remember the time Taylor Swift tried to make an equivalence between people sort of thinking like she's sort of a dick and like the oppression that the LGBT community suffers, because that was a thing. Hey. What
1: remember that this is not a Taylor Swift podcast. Okay,
2: I'll stop. We can all be three
3: angry queers about that, though. How's that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, that's what we should have named our podcast.
3: Anyway, Empty Spaces is where I, the recovering goth, realized these tracks were too slow for my Bauhaus loving ass. (laughs) (laughs) I started referring to tracks on this album as a dirge because that's what they are. They get very slow, and in some cases straight-up acoustic and
2: incredibly bland. Pop ballads always suck. Pop ballads always suck.
1: Is that our tagline for the episode?
3: Yes. This is just... Yet another track where he is complaining that people expect better of him. But in this case, it's got a weird vibe. Remember that thing I said about how there were definitely bodies buried in this guy's past? Uh, I believe in second chances. I believe the years forget. Better late than never. Stay forever. Let me fill this empty space. Because there's always room for one more mistake. We got some real uh, did Phil Collins murder a guy energy off this track. (laughs) yeah i didn't know that phil collins murdered the guy uh it was a thing for years people thought that dreaming while you sleep was a confession that they hit someone with the bus or something i hope not i like phil collins yeah I, i very much love the man i think he's a pop virtuoso but as far as anyone could tell no genesis did not run over anyone or bury a body in the desert it's just this was the old days where you could start any slander about that guy and people would take it as gospel. Combined with the fact that urban legends used to be a lot
2: crazier in the days before the internet, when it was just, "Hey, did you hear?" Oh, we'll we get we will, we'll get that about urban legends. There's uh, the last track. <sighs> Talk about empty space. One, the guitars on this record sound like the guitar preset you get on a Casio keyboard. <laughs> You aren't wrong. Like, they're so cheesy and so, like, just standard guitar sound. It sounds like no artistry went into crafting the sound of the guitar. Uh, Second of all, once again, we're back with the weird effects on the voice, because clearly Jill Norton understood that Mitch Allen voice suck and was trying desperately to cover it and... You get a lot of weird delay and weird effects on the voice. The song itself suck.
1: It made it sound cool.
2: I mean, that's fair. That means that in some way they are succeeding and masking the failings of this band. But Mm -hmm. yeah, the song itself is a pop ballad. And I expressed my thought on pop ballads at the beginning of us talking about this track.
3: Okay, so this is two years after... Auto tune really broke into being a known thing in the music industry. So, I kind of wonder why did we not have someone trying that on these vocals?
2: I don't think the problem with Mitch Allen is not being in tune. He just has a grating voice. He has like the sort of like. he's, I think he's trying to be like heavy metal. Like he's trying to be a native hair metal singer. But it fails? <laughs> I guess, but it with the
3: production screwing with the pitch of everything, why not lean into the artificia? I guess because we were still in an era where rock doesn't do that, but... Ugh. SR-71 is a band-sized monument to the statement, fake it till you make
2: it. And he couldn't. Well, I mean, he has a job in the music industry, so... But not
3: in any way that requires him to be heard. I mean, this
1: dude seems to like attention, I think, and he's not gonna get that where he
2: is. He is going on podcasts with like 50 listeners.
1: Oh, that's 10 times the listeners we have, so...
3: Here's the thing. I think we'll eclipse that, and we don't even have to say weird, possibly crypto-racist shit by the time we get to episode 130. Also, let me just say, nothing is more literal about being the walking dead with your career than when you write back-to-back multiple tracks unnamed on a 2020 Third Eye Blind record and... A song for the Zombies 2 soundtrack from Walt Disney Pictures' Disney Channel movies. That's what his most recent works are. I looked up his writing credits. Third Eye Blind is still recording multiple tracks in 2020. How sobering is that? Anyway, that's that's where Mitch Allen is at. I feel like we can succeed further than that at much less cost. Sure. Alternatively, just think of it as like, that dude is living a monkey's paw wish. Sure, you can be rich in show business. Ha 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 the genie cackles his advantages.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: That's, that's what I was getting at.
3: Yeah. yeah. <sighs> but for now, let's spend another night alone.
0: Me. I'll write a million words. I'll sing.
2: My first note on this is like, please, someone stop Mitch Allen face from making noises. Because this song doesn't have any effects on his voices, so it reaches like top, oh, oh, my ears.
1: So. I have a theory on why Mitch Allen sounds so bad. Here in this song, one of the lines is, I'll sing until it hurts. You know what's bad for your voice, yo?
3: <laughs> Ten years of singing till it hurts have ruined Mitch Allen for everyone. Oh, darn. Yep. You know what? No, wait, he still sounded like crap on that podcast recently. Never mind. I was going to say, maybe it healed when he's not out touring, but it's like, no, no, he still sounds bad.
1: Nah, he started his first debut in music when he was in high school, while his vocal cords were still, you know, growing. So, nope, it's it's a loss forever. Can't heal that.
2: Yeah, I would also like to note, we're talking about he being on a podcast, and I would like to note now, because this will maybe give you a, you know, you would have a complete picture already by Politically Correct, that masterpiece of a song of why we dislike Michelin or by the fact that he looks like a douche, or by the fact that he generally talks like a douche in interview. Uh, I would do- just like to note that in the interview that we mentioned, a thing that he mentions, and this dude has a minor in political science, is that... It's an amazing quote you found. Yeah, he says that he gets told, you know, the interviewer is like, oh, you have a minor in political science, surely with all the stuff going on, these are like interesting times. And he replies that, yes, this are an interesting time because all of the stuff, clearly referring to the current pandemic because of how they were talking about quarantine before, all of the stuff is clearly distracting us from someone. I would like to know what that something they're trying to distract us from is. And, yeah. I...
1: Okay, buddy. I mm.
2: Yeah, this was a very recent
3: interview and it was something (sighs) yeah that's more interesting than all of another night alone which was the point where I started looking up his
2: writing career while I was listening to this but the verse and the chorus are very short in the song which basically means that we get a two minutes and they repeated the verse and the chorus four times so they have to end the song with like a minute of a coda A
3: lot of the back half of this album is repetitive choruses.
1: To add more to our theory about (laughs) did maybe someone get hit by a bus (laughs) in the making of this, there is a secret place you'll find a bloodstained fence.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, it's leaving us clues now. with a Riddler.
3: (laughs) You know what? (laughs) That absolutely tracks, because I have always said the Riddler should not be a villain. He should be a very good detective. No one should stand to be around. This tracks. He's a very competent songwriter. No one wants to share a hotel room with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh
2: We talked about South Park Republicans before on this podcast (sighs) with Phoenix DX. Mitch Allen is the embodiment of their concepts. Mitch Allen is a, is a South Park elemental.
3: This is a Phoenix TX cubed record. It's everything that was bland that we hated about that. Remember when the worst thing we had said on this podcast was not even Phoenix TX's mothers listened to their album? We've peaked. We've passed that somehow.
1: Not even Phoenix TX would listen to this album.
3: Yes, they got a feud with some forty one rather than anyone who you cared about.
2: By the way, we will get. There. I think we will tell the story on the next time we meet these dudes. And that some forty one are completely in the wrong in that incident, and they still side with them. <laughs> it's kind of wild, but yeah, that's that's for the future. We're just. I love the image of like just because Some fifty one are like tiny. They they were like sixteen, and they were like. You know, sure. So I like the image of like this just pack of feral like pop punk gremlin, just Jurassic Park style, (laughs) jumping all over the crew of SR 71.
3: This is the best JRPG ever. Five (laughs) hobbits with spiked hair.
1: Uh, Hey I resemble that remark.
3: What if all the chibi sprites from 16-bit JRPGs turned into real people with the same proportions? That's some 41.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyhow, what, song, what songs were we talking about?
3: We were talking about Another Night Alone. We don't have to be anymore.
1: I think it's time to check and see if we're still alive after listening to This Far Into the Album.
2: second favorite song of the record
3: no this just narrowly avoids my third place the big issue for me is that this is clearly being written like it's a female empowerment song but it has this weird nice guy vibe to it because the whole thing is you know you should get out of that bad relationship you should leave that guy with you're with but a lot of it
2: has this undercurrent of and get into my car On the upside, this song... we we don't get any new metal on this record, but we do get, like, a pretty butt-rocky post-grunge song, which is this one. It sort of sucks, but it's the least unsufferable song on this record, aside from the single. For me, it does, once again, the I'm gonna be quiet, I'm gonna be quiet, guitars, gonna be loud thing. And the first time it does it, it works actually. It's well built up, unlike most time it does it. The problem is then it does it again and you're like, wait, are you just repeat are you just did you just copy paste the first half of the song and made the just copy pasted it right away? And the answer is yes, they did that. And uh, Yeah, the second half of the song sucks because they just do the same thing again. But this is the song where the guitar sounds the least like a Casio sample. So make of that what you will. I don't hate it.
3: It's again, it's in the top tracks of this album for however much that says about it. But uh, it's it's got some skeezy vibes. Some of the best songwriting on the album, despite that. It has actual gifts of metaphor and imagery and works in something other than, oh, my God, you guys, for most of it, (laughs) that's what most of that's what 90 percent of this album is, is you guys stop trying to make me better myself. You could sing this entire album with Louis Anderson's voice and it would be less annoying.
1: Challenge accepted.
3: On this non-toxic, ordinary day. Yeah,
2: it's still better. That's going to be our Patreon goal to sing this whole record with that voice.
3: I will do an entire hour of Louis Anderson voice.
2: (laughs) Go for it. I, I am glad you have no shame or sense because, yeah. If we actually set up a Patreon and
3: set that as a goal, and we hit it, I will put my whole fucking
2: heart and hog into it. We could deconstruct the joke here, because if we set up a Patreon and we put a quite high goal to achieve that that product and put it to the masses, what it means is that we have quite a certain number of people following us, and following us to the point that they want to give us money, which means that we have success. And another word for success is, you know
1: is fame. And that is what she's wanting.
0: Fame's what she's wanting. Not a face in the crowd, just a disposable pop star. Staring down from 30,000 feet above the planet, she gets the sense nothing's behind her anymore. Fame is left or nothing short of a fanatic
2: for the chance to be the one that adore Fame. The intro is cute. There's like a little a cappella intro and that's like cute. I don't hate it. But the rest of the song is and this gives me a chance to rant about one of my other favorite pop records of the 2000 which will release a couple of years after this. But this song is basically What to Do by okay Go, without any of the songwriting wit of Damien Kulash, like there's the same theme, they're both like fairly upbeat songs, they're both songs about, you know, someone trying to achieve fame and not quite getting it and having to confront that. but, you know this is, just does it in a very bland, blah, I don't care about this way.
1: Do you ever think that, uh, whatever his name is, looks back at this song now that he's like failed to achieve any sort of real fame, and it's just like, oh, oh.
2: He literally made a song about being a one-hit wonder on this third record. Ha <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm just gonna rant about What To Do By Kegel. I just want to gush for like a couple of minutes about this song, because it's great. And by the way, if you listen to this song, go listen to the, you find it on YouTube as What To Do Demo which is not a demo, but it's the version they put on in the EP they released before their first record. It's the superior version, the version on the record is also good, but way more stripped down production on their first song and like the delivery by the singer are great. But yeah, it's like the same team, but you get the, um, the great chorus, it's like what to do, sweetheart you'll find, mediocre people do exceptional things all the time. Which is just like vaguely heartbreaking, but also great. It's literally one of my favorite songs ever, and I just thought about it because it's a similar theming to this one. Makes sense. When the day finally nears, your list has made it clear that compassion's just a nicer way of looking down your nose. It's very sarcastic. The point I'm trying to make here, and it's vaguely unrelated to this Ok Go are like secretly some of the best songwriters in pop.
1: OK Go are good.
3: OK Go
2: are fantastic pop stars. They are great. And their first record is their best one. I think everyone else sort of suffers musically. Their first record, OK Go by OK Go. Is... Well, they discovered they were very good at promotion
3: after a certain point, And that kind of became the point of the band over the music. But... If you were only coming for the spectacle of what's their next video, I guess it doesn't matter much.
2: Yeah. Go listen to OK Go by OK Go is a genuine, like, 4.5 out of 5 album. It's a, a great record.
1: Ellie, which album is uh, A Million Ways to be Cruel
2: on? That's the second one. I love that song. That second one as a whole is not... It's not as strong. Like, the... The singles of OK Go are always great. I think the strength of OK Go by OK Go is that every fucking song on that record could be a single. Every song is, like, radio-friendly, It's like, fun, has, like, witty lyrics. Yeah, I'll stop gushing. OK Go by OK Go. Great record. Also,
3: I feel that I need to point out, just so no one's confused, Ellie was quoting OK Go lyrics. The lyrics to the SR-71 song, are so much worse than that snippet. Because their version of this song is about how it's terrible that a woman wants to be famous. That traps her in success. It's
2: real muddled messaging. This This song is sung by the stalker in perfect blue? Yeah, that's a good description.
3: Also, uh, rest in peace, Satoshi Kone. It was ten years this week since his death. Oh. Yep. Mm. You timed that perfectly. So, yeah, let's just go over some of these amazing lyrics. Staring down from 30,000 feet above the planet, she gets the sense nothing's behind her anymore. Her quest for fame has left her nothing short of a fanatic, for the chance to be the one that we adore. They called her princess because they always knew she'd be a servant, never having an ambition in her life. They all knew she'd end up just another loser's girlfriend. Who'd have thought she'd become a Jedi Knight? But the chorus is calling her just a disposable pop star over and over and over. So is being famous good? Is she a success? Is she a puppet who's just on the strings of the
2: What is the message here? I would like to put those two quotes and then add, as a source, Mitch Allen, professional songwriter.
1: (laughs) So, I think that the message to pull from from this song is that we all wish that uh, uh, Mitch Allen would go away.
2: (laughs) Well, he did go away. We just decided to re-exhume his musical corpse in this podcast. Describing this album
3: as his musical corpse is also a better title than Now You See Inside. I'm going to start a Kickstarter and make a card game out of that. That sounds like a Kickstarter card game. Mitch Allen's Musical Corpse. From the creators of We Can't Call Ourselves Cards Against Humanity Anymore. (laughs) It's 2020, and the things you expected to milkshake duck are milkshake ducking. Oh boy. Anyway, let's talk about Go Away, because Adam tried to segue into it, and I steamrolled right past it to get angry about the title again.
2: I I I think everyone tried to segue into it, and then we kept making Mitch Allen's jokes. (laughs) (sighs) This is
3: definitely one of our biggest roast albums in a while.
2: Look, I try to be positive. I fucking hate this record, so... You are very much
3: trying to be positive. I got into this saw some meat in the air and just went teeth out for its throat. (laughs) My notes feel like I was preparing for a roast battle.
1: I mean, sometimes you just gotta battle your roast.
0: Once inside the door, I'd check my face in the mirror And i will look past this lonely minute Is this the ride worth waiting for? I'm scared to death now I missed it, but she was not the only stone Skipped across this gravel road, leading down the path of loneliness So I'll fly from this
3: Anyway, Go Away is another song about how everyone around him is terrible that ends in But I don't need them, what's self-improvement? However, this time, there's no instrumentation for three minutes.
1: Yeah, I might have been sleeping for this one, too.
3: Uh, Yeah, this sounds like an MTV Unplugged cover until the last minute when it's suddenly electric
2: guitars. That's the one songwriting technique that Mitch Allen knows, and is gonna use it through all of the record. Also, like, he does like a very John Mayer's, like, whispered voice in this song, and it sounds awful. I don't want Mitch Allen to whisper ever again.
3: Yeah, this is Mitch Allen ASMR, and it's a horrifying roleplay. This is the (laughs) Uwu Dentist ASMR as a rock song.
1: Why would you remind me of that?
3: Why why would you not think of that regularly? In, In case anyone's curious, that's a real thing, and it has three videos worth from the same creator. I did not just conjure that up out of thin air. The thumbnails are pretty good, too. Ledge, now I will
2: have to put that in the note. No, you don't. Just
3: let them Google Uwu dentist.
1: <laughs> have you seen the one where uh, uh, the OO I uh, steal your organs to sell them on the black market ASMR or whatever?
3: Yes, same creator.
1: Ah, uh, okay. She just
3: started doing that as a character every so often. I think it's just for Halloween, but still.
1: Oh, uh, well, that makes me feel a little bit better, I guess.
3: Yeah, it's, it's drenched in... Complete irony, okay, I'll lean into the weird crap you ask for. But anyway, uh, we all asked him to go away, but he did not. So instead, he wrote lyrics like, I can't stand to hang out with my codependent friends. My patience is fading fast. But one day soon, I'll find myself and realize no one else will make me feel stupid.
2: (sighs) Fucking do.
3: (laughs) You could not be coming any closer to realizing at this point in all the lyrics on this album, what if the problem is me? Because there's this old man down in Fell's Point, always hanging around, telling me, son, the pendulum swings both ways, but for you, it'll always swing down.
2: What? Oh, I he's trying to do the, the mountain goats thing, where you, like, reference, like, a specific place to give it, like, more vivid imagery of the song to ground it in reality. You know, songwriting. But that's just a line out of nowhere that fits none of the rest of the metaphor.
3: And that's right before it goes into the loud bit. It's
1: another one of his weird making
3: sure people are awake and listening. Do we want to go on to the next track?
1: The one that he's really, really proud of?
3: Oh my god. Let's talk about Non Toxic. He has put this on two out of three SR71 albums. He recorded possibly one other version of this prior when they were Rockstar or Video Star. This is like Radio Star. Radio Star, right. This is the song this guy seems to be the most proud of in his career. And this sucks so much more than the remix on their next album.
2: I didn't hate this. I didn't like this. I thought this was okay.
1: Even I didn't like this one, Ellie, and I thought that the album sounded fine.
3: This is definitely inferior to what happens when a more productive version of the band covers it next time.
2: Yeah, I, the, the, my problem, main problem with this is just that this is like, like the song is fine, like as a song, it's very repetitive. And this, this is sort of the problem with the whole album that this is extremely overproduced. Like Blink was overproduced, but Blink had solid songs and like the production enhanced the song, even though they played a lot with sound. But it was a coherent it was a coherent texture throughout the whole of the Blink album. There wasn't much variety, but it was like a sound that they went for. They went like, okay, let's make punk, but with sort of like this TRL boy band bent to it, and it was like a fairly like lush punkish sound that had like a consistency. This record as mentioned just throws everything at the wall. This is overproduced and it's just like a sound salad. Like, they add all kinds of effects.
1: Mmm, sound salad.
2: (laughs) Yes, delicious. Not particularly fun to listen to. They add all of this stuff to the sound, and they just don't gel together, and you just have this mush that doesn't quite work. It's so cheesy. All of the production is so cheesy.
3: Non-Toxic exists. He seems to love this track. I don't know why. It's... One of the best things on this album, this is probably my number three, but it still exists in a better form and it still has that love me vibe to it with bits like old news can change as memories float downstream. So don't judge me by my failures, but only by my dreams. There's only room for one on this microphone. In my finest hour, I'm still
2: alone. Like a a direct job at his band. (laughs) Yeah, and he
3: keeps playing the song. So what does that tell you?
2: Look, you know what? The band's getting paid. They're like, look, we weren't really going anywhere. Then we joined with this guy. And like a month later, we're on a major label. We'll just shut up and play some music and get the money from this record.
3: And then six months later, Sum 41 is egging our bus. (laughs) So why do you think none of them came back?
1: We have to acknowledge the last song.
3: <laughs>
1: this song was so quiet I couldn't hear it. And then I was like, you know what? This is making me sleepy. I'm gonna turn it off and go to sleep. And I didn't finish it.
3: This
2: is Paul McCartney, the track that closes the album. This is not the human Paul McCartney. They just named a song Paul McCartney. And it's
1: like five minutes long
2: roughly 10% of the album is this track.
3: That's not a joke. This is mixed horrendously. They're not kidding when they say that you cannot make out what he's saying most of the time. It sounds like he's making mouth noises for a lot of it because of the way it
2: all comes out. Yeah. This is basically another pop ballad. All of this pop ballad just sounds like... And I make this connection a lot, mostly because... This connection started being born by listening to a lot of Mitch Allen interviews, and in every single interview he brags about when he toured with um, Bon Jovi in the 2000s. Why would you brag about touring with Bon Jovi in the 2000s? I don't know. To be fair, Bon
3: Jovi's career came back in the 2000s with songs like It's My Life. Yeah. That also I didn't say it was good. I'm just saying people actually listen to that.
2: That's fair. But also, I, I think the reason why he brags about that so much is that he really wants to be a native rock star. All of this song sounds like really horrible. You know when like hair metal band would just do like this slow sappy ballads? I've
1: got it. He, he was born in the wrong generation. Ha <laughs>
3: Yes, that's it. Let's set, let's huck him back in time.
2: Bill and Mitch, excellent adventure. Ugh. Keanu
3: Reeves, Mitch Allen, the corpse of George Carlin, and a lot of uncomfortable slurs. Oh, I can't. I can't rewatch excellent or bogus journey because of that.
1: Yeah. Oh, what happened?
3: They throw that one around a lot. Uh-oh. Uh, But no, this song is basically what would happen if you scientifically engineered the inverse of Anthony Kiedis scatting. That's what this comes off sounding like. <laughs> what? It's all weird mouth sounds with no energy whatsoever. As opposed to... <speaking in Spanish> which is Anthony Kiedis every time that there's a guitar break. okay. <laughs> Sure. Let me tell you how upset I was about the fact that in 2000, Mitch Allen wrote a song about how the world would be so much brighter if Paul were still alive, and either he doesn't know which Beatle died, or this song takes place in a weird parallel reality where Paul McCartney has been dead for over 20 years, and I want to go there.
1: (laughs) Take me with you.
2: Okay, so he explains what this song is about in that interview, which I listened fully because I hate myself. So I did not catch this. Hit me. He is talking about the police dead conspiracy. For people who don't know the police dead conspiracy, there are a bunch of people who believe that Paul McCartney died a long time ago. This is like first era of the Beatles. Abbey Road, I think, was the point. Yeah, yeah, and he was replaced with a lookalike and the there are people who still believe that, to today, the poor McCartney that we know is the look-alike that the label put in because they didn't want to lose record sales or whatever. Now, fortunately, Mitch Allen at least doesn't believe in this thing, but this song is technically about how, as a kid, he was really into this conspiracy theory and this made him more interested in music And it's a sliding door song, he describes it as, meaning that he he is trying to say that maybe if he wasn't in that conspiracy theory, his life could have gone a completely other way where he didn't become a person who makes music, yes.
1: Wouldn't that have been nice?
2: Yes, that
3: would be very appreciated. So what you're saying is Paul McCartney's survival is the devil's deal at the crossroads that gives Mitch Allen a career. yes (laughs) yes <laughs> I know what I'm
2: doing with a time machine now this sucks. Shall sucks shall we end this pull out the trigger piglet <laughs> So, quickly, my final thoughts about this record. You would have figured them out at this point. It's a very nothing record. All of the songs feel like filler. It's 40 minutes of nothing. It's a sound salad. It doesn't sound like anything. It sounds like everything, and therefore it doesn't sound like anything. It's extremely disposable, and I regret that it ended up on this spreadsheet and in our podcast because no one remembers this record, and there's no reason why anyone should remember this record. It It's nothing.
3: Mitch Allen remembers this record loudly every time he's near a crowd.
1: <laughs> Does anyone remember Mitch Allen, though?
3: Mostly Mitch Allen. I'm sure someone who worked with him could remember, um, what's his name? Um, 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 Mitch. You know, the douchebag. <laughs> that would always be it. What's his name? Um, 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 Mitch. I guarantee it.
1: I mean, I forgot his name like three times during this podcast, so.
3: If you asked Bon Jovi about that guy he toured with, he'd say, oh, yeah, he's still alive, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee.
0: And that's the yeah. last excuse I use to let the world pass me.
2: record does mediocrally. The singles don't really go anywhere but this peaks at 82 on the billboard top 200 records so someone buys this. Not me this time. But it's not actually not nearly as good as the label was expecting. sr 71 goes on to tour for a while including some Las Vegas dates with Bon Jovi and you know they will go on tour with some 41, but that's a story for next time. Basically, when they go towards making their second record, there's way less support from their label. It's all downhill from here? It's all downhill from here for them, and they. I assume that when they go and make their second record, they sort of know that this is not going anywhere. When we meet them the next time, it'll be interesting, because a bunch of people, and by a bunch of people, I mean basically everyone aside from Michal and leave the band and we will see where they go and they fight a bunch of pop punk gremlins yay but yeah, that's a story for another episode yeah it's a great story too (laughs) we'll get there. Uh. we
3: have to have something to spice up another SR-71 album oh yeah
0: yeah. on any given day I'm a 6 of 10 Bed to desk, to bar eyes on the floor. Still apologizing for the way I've been. Each breath more full of shit than the one before. Yeah, I know the negative consumes me. Guess I'm alright. Let the kill pass right through me while my friends are taking dives.
2: Before we close, I have like, it's not even a segment, this is a completely unrelated thing, but because I was extremely negative today, I hate this record. Mitch Allen is an extremely unpleasant person to research. I just wanted to just like give a little sorry about a record that I listened this year and like give it a shout out because it's really good and it's a thing that I actually appreciate. So, Spanish Love Songs, which is a fairly good emo band, put out a record this February, and with, you know, released by Pure Noise, Pure Noise releases a bunch of good stuff, and I listened to it this February, and my initial thought was, this will get huge. Every fucking, you know, pitchfork will pick this up, every website will pick this up, and in the following months, I basically constructed the memory that those websites had picked this record up and had, like, promoted it. And I was convinced that this was in every fucking, you know, middle of the year, top 20 best records of the internet. Then I went and made a playlist. Recently, uh, you'll find it on our Twitter, I made a playlist named Capitalism is gonna kill us all and also I'm sad for other unrelated reasons, which is just like a cool modern emo playlist. Again, to demonstrate that I don't hate all of music. There's just like a bunch of really good emo punk from like the last five to eight years that you can go and listen. And of course I put this in because I really liked this record. I thought it was, you know, very topical, very good. And then I go and look at the Spotify numbers that this record is doing and I just get really weirded out because like it's it's not bad, but it's just like 600,000 streams so far for most of the stuff, which is... Not bad, but I was expecting this to be way huger. And then I go, wait, wasn't this like on every middle of the year list? And then go and look at it. And no, I completely imagined that. No, four outlets reviewed this record, which makes me really sad. So I'm going to shout it out because we have a platform where five people listen to us. And I'm going to say to those five people who listen to us to go listen to this record. The record is, aside from funny asides about my brain being bad and just making up shit this is brave faces everyone by spanish love songs and it's a fucking harrowing record about like millennial anxiety about living under late capitalism it's fantastic it like sounds like sincere it sounds earnest it has like some really fucking hard-hitting lyrics i'm just gonna Just going to pick out a couple of here. since today is the day when I read lyrics that I like to the podcast and to the audience. Yeah, so stuff like, don't you know you were born to die, poor man? Don't you know that you're going to do yourself in? And you'll always wake up tired because there's nowhere we go from here. They'll say that these are exciting days, at least until they ask our age. Now I'm just a walking tragic ending. Fuck, I don't want to be the last one standing. Or from the other song I really like from this. And my bleak mind say it's cheaper just to die. The prick inside my head's laid off and daring me to try. My bleak mind say this is all you got, hoping all this time, but all you'll find is it gets harder, doesn't it? These lyrics are the most 2020 ass lyrics that you'll find this year. And this came out in February. There wasn't a pandemic when they wrote this. I hope they're okay because god this shit is bleak but it's also like if you're a person who is not in a particularly economically sound position under capitalism and has mental health issues and has anxiety over the healthcape we live in, this record resonates a lot and I recommend it. I cannot assure you that it will make make you feel happier, but if you're searching for music that's earnest, that's resonate, and that's musically pretty good, they know how to write a song. Go listen to Brave Faces Everyone. This record is fantastic, it's one of my favorites this year, and I'm trying to balance me being extremely negative for about two hours with generally recommending something that i loved and i don't think it's getting enough attention i was generally expecting this to be everywhere and no one really picked it up and it annoys me
3: yeah please place in a little of this because uh i put on a little while you were talking it up and i'm digging this Fast-living. This might be the second record
2: this show sells me. S71 <laughs> not recommended. Spanish love songs brief with everyone recommended. I'm gonna do this. I'm, every time I really hate a record, I will c- recommend something that I really like. So I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm a net negative on on punk.
3: Here, I will try and meet that. I don't know that I can meet it with punk, but I will say that. If you were, in fact, down on this and want something to pick you up, I am going to recommend from my recent purchases. It is from last year, but the Powder in Space EP is a lovely bit of electronic music, which, even if you are not super fond of the album, I would recommend looking up the video for New Tribe, which was by a strange little animation collective that goes out of its way to do every possible type of mistake you can in animation in the most gorgeous way possible. It's great. I love it. Oh, that sounds lovely.
1: That does sound pretty cool.
3: Uh, yeah, I will show it to you guys when we are done here, and I think you will laugh your heads off at the track.
0: Same song, different chorus...
2: This was the episode. You can find us at getoutofthistown.com, which is our website, and you'll find all of our stuff there. Everything is linked, that's a great hub for all of the stuff that's us. If you want to mail us, we will reply to your mails on air about a month after you send them to us, because we're on a month delay, but we will reply to you. And send us any thought that you have or any comment or did you know or enjoy or listen to the records that we listen to at GetOutOfThisTownPodcast Town Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T podcast. I post fun stuff like the playlist that I mention. You know, sometimes I just, you know, promote shit that I think is worth promoting in the genre of course. I also made a Tumblr because I thought that might give us some exposure for, like, the three people that still use Tumblr, but I don't remember the URL, so... get out of this com. Yeah, you can find us there. You can also find us on wherever you can find podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, everywhere. Especially if you get on iTunes, feel free to review us. Give us those coveted five stars, or four stars. If you think we could improve, leave a review, maybe. I don't know, that shit helps. I can swear this is marked as explicit That shit helps. Review us, fucker.
3: Please. Do us a song on the day of our daughter's wedding
2: that got cancelled due to coronavirus. <laughs> Next week we will be talking about Pay Attention by The Mighty Mighty Boss Tunes. I know exactly one song from The Mighty Mighty Boss Tunes and I like that song. Sell out! to me oh yes with me tonight that's not them oh which one's that that's a real big fish the song by the Boston says uh, um, gotcha I know what that
3: one is yeah I know that one what's the name knock on wood knock on wood right
2: that's a good song I like the lyrics on that one. Also very similar vibe to it. Yeah, but it's also like a great song about like, you know, acknowledging your privilege. And you just like, huh, that's a surprisingly thoughtful song by like a 2000s cab band, <laughs> which generally are not known for, you know, thoughtful lyrics.
3: That's true. So we'll see you next time when we get actual Ska on this podcast.
2: Oh boy. Yes, we have been teasing Ska for three weeks
3: at this point. Finally, we get Ska. We're going to find out there's only one horn solo
2: on the entire album.
1: I will cry real tears. Is
2: that the curse of our podcast that we discovered that Ska doesn't really exist? Mm. Wait a minute. It's all pop punk? Always has
3: been.
1: We're starting to see... A ripple effect from our uh, having gone back in time to assassinate certain personages.
3: (laughs) Oh no, we deleted Ska from history. No. Can it just be third wave Ska? Can I just get rid of third wave Ska and everything else stays? No, all of the Ska is gone. Damn it. All right, I guess we're going to make some hard decisions and come back next week and see what albums exist. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need to plug anything, Fletch? You can find me and all of my works at
2: hellscaper.com. Do you need to plug anything, Adam?
1: Nothing. No.
2: And you can find me at moon on Twitter. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon. But we have recently acquired the movie studio, so feel free to send us your pitches for making a Mel Brooks movie today, and we might end up collaborating. Good night, everyone.
0: See you soon. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight. like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.
2: Same song, different colors. It's stupid, contagious to be broken.
3: If famous, can someone please save us from punk rock
2: 101?